you have a Bible or the app on your phone, we're going to start in the book of Proverbs in a minute. Proverbs chapter 3. Or excuse me, Proverbs 4. Verses 3 and 4 is where we'll, we'll launch from in a moment. But as you're turning there, if you've ever flown before on a plane, as you begin to taxi toward takeoff, the flight attendants usually come out and they do what? They give some instructions, right? Typically. And what do most people do? Not you, of course. Right. But most people just, they don't pay attention. Right. Maybe you've heard it all before. You know what to do in the case you're going to land or crash. I mean, come on. You know exactly what to do. You never need to be reminded of that. Right. Ever when you're in a plane, that's a ton, two tons, whatever it weighs and whatever. Anyway. So, so the flight attendant comes out and they give instructions. Right. And one of the things that they do is in the event that the cabin loses air pressure, what's going to happen? Yeah, like you know the motion, right? This thing, this thing is going to fall out of the sky, out of the ceiling, and just be right over your head. Oxygen, right? Then what do they tell you to do? Put on yourself first, which seems very unloving, right? It does. It seems very like the, the loving thing to do would be, you know, I'll die first, so that you can, you know, that, that's kind of the thinking, right? I mean, it just feels that way. But what they tell you is to put it on yourself first. Why? You can't help someone if you're passed out, right? And so, the, and especially if, if you're traveling with children, your, your natural inclination is going to be to take care of them first, right? I mean, that's just, I think, I would hope. Right? But what they tell you to do is make sure that you put your oxygen mask on first. Because you're no good to the person next to you if you're passed out, if you can't breathe. So it's important that you put your oxygen mask on first. Take care of yourself first. And this morning, what we're going to see in Scripture as we continue the study on missional parenting is that if, if the goal, if the target, if what we're aiming for is to create this environment for our children to, to see the value of following Jesus and loving Him with all their hearts, then mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, friend of those who have children, it's important that you value following Jesus and loving Him with all your heart. It's necessary for you to set the example. When it comes to creating this environment for our children to to want to follow Jesus, to see the value of following him and loving him, it's important for moms and dads, grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, to set the example. And and I, I want us to see that that from Scripture this morning. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, or 4, excuse me, Proverbs 4, verses 3 and 4. Solomon is writing, and he says, When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. 
And I think it's important, verse 4, he says, my dad taught me and said to me, follow Jesus. My dad taught me and said, hey, God's word is important. And so here Solomon is just passing along to his sons what his father passed along to him. And so he's saying, my dad set the example for me, and so now I'm going to set this example for you. And so we see the importance, even Solomon understands the importance of a parent setting the example for their children. And we see this all throughout Scripture. Go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. God is speaking to his people, and he gives them instructions. And so if we look at Solomon, we see he understood the importance of what his dad taught him and the example his dad set. Good and bad. You know, Solomon was not known only for being the wisest man in the world, but he was also known for being a womanizer, had multiple wives, multiple sexual partners. And I just wonder if maybe his struggle with sexual sin was something that he saw from his own dad. Because David struggled with it too. So sometimes our example that we're setting isn't always good. Solomon understood the importance of a parent setting the example for what it looks like and can look like or should look like to follow Jesus and love him. God speaks in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's the, that's the goal. That's the, the bullseye. And these words that I command you today shall be where? On your heart. They need to be on your heart, mom. They need to be on your heart, dad. Then he goes, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And I think the order there is important. These things need to be on your heart. So then you can teach them diligently to your children. The importance that God is saying, if we want to create this environment in our home, in our family, where our children value God's word, value following Jesus and loving him, then it, that needs to be on your heart. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 and 19. Deuteronomy 11, 18 and 19. God is speaking again and he says, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. It's as if God is saying, he's just repeating himself from back in chapter 6. He's just saying it a different way. And he's saying, these things need to be on your heart, Dad. They need to be on your heart. They need to be on your heart collectively as a house church. And then teach them to your children. It's hard to teach something that isn't important to you and that you don't know anything about. And he's saying, this needs to be on your heart. And he says it again in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Whenever there's something repeated, right? It's like a parent. God's being a heavenly father. He's like, I'm just going to keep saying this because this is so important. You need, to, you need to get this. So he's just repeating this to his people. And he says in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 45 and 40 through 47, he says, And when Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart 
We just sang about that, right? To your heart, God. Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today. Why? Here's purpose. That word, that, that speaks of purpose. Why do I want you to take to heart God's words? So that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of the law. And he's speaking there by example. Mom, dad, grandparent, aunt, uncle, you need to have these in your heart. Why? So then you can then teach them to, to your children, to your grandkids, to your nieces and nephews, to, to, those, to those children of, of friends of yours. I mean, you need to have these on your heart, the importance of example. And Jesus modeled this, did he not? Go with me to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. He modeled this with those he was, those he was discipling. Matthew, chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, what did he say? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He says, follow me. Jesus understood, if you want to see what it looks like to follow God and love him with all your heart, just follow me, Jesus said. Watch me. I'm wondering, could we say that to our kids? Could you sit your son down or your daughter down and say, listen, if you want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus, follow me. Could you sit your grandkids down or your nieces and nephews down or the kids in your house church down and you sit with them and you say, guys, listen, if you want to see what following Jesus looks like, and I'm not going to do a part, I understand that, but, but I want you to follow me. Can we say that? Jesus understood the importance of setting the example for those that you're discipling. Um, John chapter 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. He's finishing washing their feet, puts on the garments, and then he, what does he say to his disciples? He says, I, I want you to do what I just did. Follow my lead. Follow my example. He understood the importance of setting the example. How about the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 4? 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 through 17. Paul is writing to the church. And he says this, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Notice the language he uses to describe the relationship he has with those he's, dis he's discipling. He uses this parenting kind of language. He says, I'm not writing these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. So Paul looks at himself and says, I discipled you. I'm discipling you. And so I, I'm like a father to you. And you're like my children. And Kyle spoke on this a few weeks back. The importance of if you're a follower of Christ, you're like a spiritual parent to those that are following. Following you to, to your kids, but to other people that you're discipling. And he says, then I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 16, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Follow my example. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. So Paul understands that if we're going to create this environment for people to follow Jesus, to want to follow Jesus, to value following Jesus and loving him, we need to set the example. And then we see 
Paul's young apprentice, Timothy, and the impact that his grandma and his mom had on his faith. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. 2 Timothy 1, 5. Paul writes, I am reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Then if you look at chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul refers back to that relationship that Timothy had with his mom and his grandma. And he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul is referencing Timothy's relationship and the example that his grandma and his mom set. We're not sure if Timothy's dad was a follower of Jesus or not. It doesn't seem like it based upon what Paul says here. But he's reminding Timothy, listen, you learned, you saw an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus and love him by looking at your grandma and your mom. And so if we put all this together, we take Solomon's words and God's words in Deuteronomy and then Jesus' words and his example, Paul's words to the church, and then the example that we see in Timothy's mom and grandma. You see the importance that, that God sees it as important that moms, dads, if we're going to create this environment that values following Jesus, we got to put our oxygen mask on first. We need to care about our relationship with Jesus. We need to help show them what it looks like to follow Jesus and love him with all our hearts. This next quote is from D.A. Carson, a Bible teacher, pastor, author, and I love this quote. He says, it is not just what you do, it is what you are excited about. Think of this in the context of discipling your kids. It's not just what you do, it is what you are excited about. If I have learned anything in 35 to 40 years of teaching, it is that students don't learn everything I teach them. What they learn is what I am excited about, the kinds of things I emphasize again and again. And that had better be the gospel. Make sure in your own practice and excitement that what you talk about, think about, exude confidence over, what you are enthusiastic about is Jesus. That stings. As I was reading that and thinking through all these different passages of Scripture and what God is saying about parents setting the example, I'm like, man, do my kids see me get just as excited about going and be with the church as when my, the Cleveland Browns score a touchdown? Or when the Cavs win the championship, right? Do they see, what do they see me excited about? Am I just as excited when when I get an opportunity to tell someone about Jesus, do my kids see that? And we say, well, that, you can't, comp- really? I mean, that hurts. And I think we can sit here and we can justify every reason why we shouldn't be, well, you can't compare football with following Jesus. You're right. I'm just so fired up about this because of what the Spirit's been doing in me this week through it. And you need to know that. I've had to repent multiple times this week about my lack of love for Jesus. I mean, what gets you excited when your kids watch you 
What do they see? Did they see you get just as excited about spending time with Jesus as watching HGTV? And we can think through this, but at the end of the day, it's a heart issue, right? It comes down to my heart. It comes down to your heart. Chap Bettis in his book, The Disciple-Making Parent, I've referenced this book multiple times in this study, and I highly recommend that you purchase this book. He says this. He says, your children are watching your example. Your life either commends or condemns the gospel. If you are serious about passing on your faith, you will watch your life closely. Disciple-making parents focus on their own walks first. The first battleground of family discipleship is not my child's heart. It is my heart. It's my heart. It's my love for Jesus. Listen, if we're going to hit the target and we want to create this environment for our kids to see that following Jesus is better than fill in the blank, then Jesus better be better for you than your fill in the blank. And same for me. It's going to involve us setting the example, and it begins with us saying, do I value following Jesus, and am I loving him with all I have? And it involves you and me putting on our oxygen masks first. I want to show a video, and as you watch this video, I want you to see the dance representing following Jesus. And then we'll come back. I'll come back and I'll explain a little bit more. I love that video for multiple reasons. But one of my favorite parts in that video is what he says when the first follower gets up. The first guy that gets up and starts to join the dance. He says he gets up and publicly shows, he publicly shows how to follow. And then he invites his friends to join him. And I love that because it's, there's a, some lessons there, I think, when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to parenting. It's like, Mom, that, you might be in a community, you might be in a neighborhood, you might be the only one who follows Jesus. And if you want your children We want our kids to value following Jesus and loving him with all their hearts. Why should they want to if everyone else, meaning a bunch of other followers of Jesus, are up there joining in the dance and you're just sitting there watching? By your example, your kids are answering the question, is Jesus better? Is he worth it? Is he worth surrendering my Is he worth following? And you say, well, what about those kids whose parents don't know Jesus? Do they not have any hope? Do they have hope of following Jesus? What if they don't have a mom and dad who know Jesus? Can they still follow Jesus? Absolutely. Now, definitely, it makes a huge impact if mom and dad are studying the example and they're following Jesus and loving him with all their hearts, but there are some children, they don't have mom and dad who follow Jesus. What it speaks to in those moments when a child grows and follows Jesus is it speaks to the grace and mercy and faithfulness of our God to give those children what they need 
to see the value of following Jesus. And maybe God's going to put those kids next to you. Maybe you're their neighbor. And those kids are going to learn what it looks like to value following Jesus by watching you. Or maybe you're the one in the cubicle next to them. And they're learning what, what following Jesus looks like from you and how you work. Or maybe there's some friends of yours and, and, and the parents don't follow Jesus and they don't want anything to do with your house, church, but they're like, kids can go. And so you're going to bring those kids along and they're going to share life with you. So maybe there's some families, and we know families, right? The moms and dads, they don't follow Jesus, but maybe that's why you live next door. Maybe that's why you're in that neighborhood. Maybe that's why you work where you work. Or maybe that's why you do what you do, because then when they come to your office, or whatever it might be, they see something different in you, and that something is a person, and his name is Jesus. So how do we do this, right? If... if it's so important for us to set the example, then where do we start? And that's what I want you to spend the next minute or so talking about with the people next to you. I want you to do some interaction here in a moment. And I want you to ask this question. How do we set the example for children in following Jesus and loving him with all their heart? So take a moment and discuss that next to you. How do we set the example I think it's important for us when we ask this question, so how can we as parents or how can I as an aunt, an uncle, grandparent, just as a friend, as someone maybe who shares life with a house church where, where there's children, how, how, can I, how can I set this example? You know, and I don't know about you, but when I hear a message like this, I go, okay, what, what do I need to do? Right? And, and it's like I'm always feeling like there's a, ugh, I need, what, I just, I got to do more? It's so hard. Right? It's a struggle. But John writes in 1 John chapter 4, and he, and he says this. He says, 1 John 4, 11, he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then go down to verse 19. He says, we love because he first loved us. In fact, I think to understand the importance of what John has just said. Let's read verse 9 and 10. He says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to satisfy the justice from God we deserved for our sins. And so in in response to that, he said, so if, if God has so loved me, if God loved me enough to do all that, then the natural response is to love others. And so, so how do I set this example for my kids? How do I set this example for those kids in, in my house church, for my, my grandkids, my nieces? And if, it, it begins with abiding in the love that Jesus has for you. That's where it starts. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is just opening me up to this more and more. And I posted on uh, uh, this past week a couple quotes from Charles Spurgeon. And he, and he, he talks about if you want to grow in your love for Christ, stop thinking about 
how much you need to grow in your love for Christ and start thinking about how much Christ loves you. When you start thinking about how much Christ loves you, then your love for Christ will just naturally grow. The key to a godly life is not more and more self-generated effort. It is a relentless pursuit of love for him. How then do I cultivate the sincerity of love that motivates obedience or motivates me to want to set the example? Here's how. By focusing more intently on his love for me than on my love for him. More on his obedience than mine. More on his faithfulness than mine. More on his strengths than mine. You see, we can sit here and we go, man, I need to be a better parent. What do I need to do to be a better parent? Think about how much Jesus loves you. It starts there. Remembering the cost. Remembering that Jesus poured out his blood on the cross to rescue you from sin and to bring you in a relationship with him and to bring you into his home and to bring you into his family, to love you unconditionally. You're always accepted. You're a child of God. And when you get your mind and your heart wrapped around that, your love for Jesus will grow. And as your love for Jesus grows, then you'll do these things. You'll you'll want to set the example. You'll be able to say no to some of those things so that you can say yes more. You can say, say yes to Jesus. I grew up in the 80s, and there was a anti-drug commercial in the 1980s. Some of you may remember it. The son is in the bedroom, and he has headphones on, and he's sitting there listening to music. Dad walks in with this box, and in the box are drugs. And the dad puts the box in front of the kid, and the son, he says, basically, where'd you learn to do this? Where'd you, where'd you learn how to do this? And the son stammers for a moment, and he says, and he yells back, he says, I learned it from watching you. I learned it from watching you, as he looks at his dad. And I want us to think about this for a moment. What are our children learning from watching us? Are they seeing that Jesus is better? Are they? When they look at your example, are they seeing that Jesus is better than Netflix? Are they seeing that Jesus is better than sleeping in? Are they seeing that Jesus is better than sports? Are they seeing that Jesus is better than whatever? From our example, those things aren't wrong or bad. But what are they learning when they're watching us, when they see us? And so this morning, as we think about this, there's lots of different questions that come through my mind when I think about what the Spirit might be saying. And I think the question that I want us to to leave with is, what do I need to surrender? What, What is it that I need to surrender to grow in understanding just how much Jesus loves me? What do I need to surrender? Because it starts there. The example starts with understanding how much you're loved by Christ. Does Jesus excite you anymore? Does he, does he excite you? What's the Spirit saying to you this morning? I believe that there's some of us, we need to repent. 
We too. We need to ask God to forgive us for we have allowed other things to take the place of who he is and his love for us. So what's the spirit of Jesus saying to you this morning? What's he saying to you about getting up and joining the dance? (laughs) What's he saying to you about setting the example? What's he saying to you about how much he loves you? We love because he first loved us. What is it that you need to surrender?